Welcome to Open to Hope Radio with your host, mother-daughter team, Dr. Gloria and Dr. Heidi Horsley. This show is brought to you by the Open to Hope Foundation with the mission of helping people find hope after loss. This show has been edited for your convenience. Now, Open to Hope Radio. Our topic today is looking at the differences between normal grief and depression, and our guest is Dr. John Christensen. Dr. John Christensen has been a licensed marriage and family therapist in Brigham City, Utah, for over 30 years. In 1987, his daughters, Carrie, age 16, and Sarah, age 14, were killed in a car train accident. Again in 1993, the unthinkable happened, when his daughter, Robin, age 16, died of meningitis. John, along with his wife, Luann, and another couple, the Handys, whose daughter died in the same car train accident, started a support group for parents who had lost children, which eventually led to our initiating a local chapter of the Compassionate Friends. John and Luann have six surviving children. Luann is the mayor of Brigham City, Utah. Welcome to the show, John. Well, welcome. I'm, I'm glad to have you have me on your program. I appreciate, uh, appreciate doing that. Well, it's wonderful to have you on the show, particularly since um, Brigham City is my hometown. So yes, where yes. I grew up, so, a beautiful little city. Yeah, it's wonderful to talk to you. Well, I think we have got a really important topic today. Mm-hmm. Yes, and um, certainly uh, you've been through a tremendous amount being a American family therapist before your uh, children were killed. Yes, uh, I had practiced for about ten years before my uh, children, first children, were were killed in the car uh, train accident, and then. About 20 years or so since, but uh, yes. Yeah, so um, you certainly know where it's at for our audience out there. Yes, I I, I was um, <clears throat> thinking just this morning how a rather unusual thing happened right after my daughter Carrie and Sarah were were killed, and and their their two best friends uh, were in the car with them, uh, and they were all killed suddenly, and and of course in a small community, uh, one one. Uh, the the boy his uh, father uh, who was a very prominent attorney in town and and uh, the city manager was uh, his daughter was killed and and then you know my my wife and I had two daughters and uh, the, the the city and the high school there's just one high school in the city and, and and the city was kind of in a tremendous shock and a tremendous uh, grieving period as a community but yeah, that's uh, an incredible thing I was, I was just I was going to mention kind of a couple unusual um, Things happened then, and might lead into our subject. Uh, one was is that you know our community was grieving a great deal, and 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 uh, because these four young people were from kind of prominent people in the community, and they were very prominent in the high school, the high school in the town, and it was on the front pages, and uh, and it was uh, uh, you know it got on CNN News, and mm-hmm. it was in the London Times, and you know things like that. So mm-hmm. friends from all over the country were calling, and that kind of thing. And right at that time, in a neighboring town, there was a young girl run over by a school bus. She got off the school bus, and the school bus ran over. And um, the physician, who was a good friend of mine, who hadn't heard of my uh, tragedy, had called me and said, I've got this uh, case I need you to see right away. Oh. And this was uh, like three nights after the girls were killed. Oh, my and, God. And this family, I really need you to see them, and you're the only one I know that can help them. And, and so... <laughs> the uh, I went back into my office and sat and, and, and grieved with these um, people. And I didn't dare tell them what had happened to me because they were already, you know, mm-hmm. within 24 hours of their of their daughter. Uh, and you were just two days. And I was just two days. Yeah, Thank goodness for the uh, uh, shock 
value of the initial kinds of things because you are kind of numbed. And, mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, you just moved into your rote job. Yeah, I moved into the rote job. Yeah. Um, I agree with uh, uh, C.S. Lewis. He used to say, uh, you know, in, in, in his uh, grief observed that the only time he felt normal is when he can go back to work and, and go back into his routines. And, uh, yeah, and, and isn't that one of the problems is that people sometimes go back into it and way back into it. it? Way back into it and maybe obsessively back into it because it, it's an escape from the grief. Mm-hmm. The other remarkable thing that I was starting to mention is that, it, is that I would like to share with you is that about oh, a couple, three months, four months after... Uh, to kind of lead into our subject, three or four months after the girls were were killed, um, um, my wife came to me and she said, uh, "I've got this friend that uh, uh, is is uh, not sleeping, uh, um, won't eat, has lost a lot of weight, is grumpy all the time, irritable, um, and and doesn't want to associate with the family, and goes in his room a lot. What do you think we ought to do?" I said, "Well, he sounds like he's a very depressed uh, person. He needs to." see a counselor and get on some uh, antidepressant medicine. And she said, well, I'm talking about you. <laughs> so, and oh, I, I like, oh, okay. And she was right. She was right. And I, I think because of the nature of the way things happened and perhaps my own biological wiring or whatever, uh, I did I did go into a pretty severe depression and, and did need some um, counseling and, and uh some medicine to to help me through that because now it wasn't, how far how long was that after um, oh I I really probably about six months altogether when I finally really did get into getting some help because I knew that what I was going through I knew enough about grief that it's sort of like there's the regular grief that people go through and then there's complicated grief and complicated grief is when we start having severe psychiatric symptoms that become life-threatening. And what were those? And, and, and basically physical things, insomnia, not sleeping, all the time not sleeping, and not recovering with your sleeping, uh, complete loss of appetite so that you're losing weight dramatically, but most importantly, suicidal thought. Mm-hmm. Lots of injuring yourself. And, and, and what about the, the person who says, I wish I could join them? You consider that suicidal? Well, I think that's a really normal part of regular grief. I don't know that I would call that part of the complicated grief. Uh-huh. Um, it would be more like if someone says, um, I'm going to kill myself. I'm really, I'm really thinking about I want to die. I don't want to be here because the pain is too intense. Yes, and I yes. want to be out of this world. Yes. It's not so much wanting to join the other person as much as it is, I just want this pain to end. Mm-hmm. And having a plan, right? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And and, and and so, of course, part of complicated grief is when someone goes into a severe, major depressive episode, and and that's easy enough to slide into that because of the nature of, of what's happened, the trauma yeah, of what's happened. Uh, regarding the sleep, I know some of our folks talk about not being able to sleep. I remember early on in the first weeks, you know, having trouble sleeping, and finally somebody gave me a sleeping pill, and it was a total relief. Absolutely, absolutely. And, or, or even a, a, a light tranquilizer. Um, mm-hmm. uh, sometimes those are very, very helpful in the first stages of grief because there's so many things you've got to get taken care of and, and deal with. Right. And also I remember worried about um, uh, other children, you know, staying up for them until they got to sleep. Yes, yes. You know. 
Absolutely, and, uh, and all of what they're going through. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so we're talking about for folks that are out there newly bereaved. If you if you can't sleep early on, it's different than not sleeping six months later, right? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And and, and really, what we're looking at with complicated grief is is um, number one would be you know you're kind of close to a year down the road and and physically you're still really having a lot of symptoms and having a lot of negative uh, uh, self-damaging thoughts. Um, and another form of complicated grief that they're really beginning to, to look at in the, in the research right now is, is, is how the death of a child produces post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm-hmm. And they're not calling it that yet, but it has all the same symptoms as post-traumatic stress disorder, particularly when the death is, is, is sudden. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And what would be for our audience out there who don't know what post-traumatic stress syndrome is? What kind of what are you talking about? Okay, it, it basically it, it it includes um, three kinds of symptoms. One is you relive the uh, experience over and over again in nightmares, uh, in intrusive memories, flashbacks. Uh, you have all kinds of physical reactions that remind you of the experience. Then second would be the efforts to avoid people. Places, activities, feelings, thoughts—anything that reminds you uh, of, of of the event of, of the loss of, of the child and the loss of interest in everything, uh, feeling complete numb and estrangement—and then the third uh, group of symptoms is heightened arousal and vigilance, uh, very irritable, angry outburst, uh, the startle reflex is high, again heavy insomnia, poor concentration. Uh, uh, constantly on guard, uh, you know, hypervigilant. Some of those symptoms you have uh, early on, and and where it becomes again complicated, where perhaps counseling or you visit with your family physician, or perhaps some medications would be helpful, is when the the symptoms persist at a very high level, and and people just aren't able to shake this traumatic experience being the ruling influence in their life. In other words, they, they, they discontinue functioning uh, completely uh, because this, the, the traumatic experience rules everything that they do. And, and now it isn't just when they're thinking about their loss of their loved one or their child. It's all the time. It's every minute. It's they're over the whole, their whole life. jumpy and irritable and and cross and, 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 and hypervigilant and looking over their shoulder. They don't want to go anywhere. And of course, the so so we got this whole post-traumatic stress disorder complication. We certainly have uh, people that go from regular depression and 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 grieving to a, a severe uh, clinical depression, and then we also have people that go from you know normal anxieties that you would expect in uh, grief, uh, being kind of scared and panicky that would happen again. Two people that start having panic disorders and agoraphobia can't go out of the house, don't want to go around anybody, and become shut-ins, become uh, um, prisoners to their to their disorder. And so, any of those three things—that's comp- that's a complication. That's not normal grief. I almost wish that when we talk about grief and we say, "Well, people become depressed," uh, you know, that's one of the stages of, of grieving. That we wouldn't use the word depression, we'd use the word, you know, bereavement or something. But mm-hmm. because depression is is something that's kind of a different ballgame because it involves a biochemical change in the brain, 
Mm-hmm. And that biochemical change in the brain knocks out everything that helps a person feel human. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask you about in connection with this whole thing is how about past history before their child died? And, and, and that's a big contributing influence, the past history of death, but also past history with the, pers- with the deceased, of what their relationship was. I was also thinking of their depression before. And their depression, depression before. And, and that and kind of thing. Many people have uh, had a depressive episode or, or maybe um, um, genetically have some depression in the family and they're a little wired for depression, and then, uh, and then the loss of a child just, just knocks them over the edge. I so mean, they, they, were, they may be people that really need to be in touch. Absolutely. And, and usually if someone is grieving and they're not sure whether it's grief or depression, if the child walked in the room and the sibling walked in the room, they would feel better. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, if they were, that's yes. what they want. They want that person back in their lives. Yes. And uh, it would make them feel good again. Yes. And with depression, I don't think, you know. No. With any of these complications, now it's running on its own. It was initiated by the loss, but now it's running on on its own. And as, so you don't get the normal uh, um, process of working through grief and coming back out of grief at the end uh, and accepting things and, and maybe being functional and, and getting back up to 90% of where you used to be, let's say, a year and a half later. You don't, a year and a half later, you may even be worse. Uh, and so those, and, and of course, life-threatening again. And, and again, the central issue is uh, suicidal thought. And and all of the physical symptoms where someone is is uh, their health is really uh, significantly deteriorating, and that's that's when it's oh we're not we don't want to say oh they're just grieving we want to say right. something else has occurred here and it's and it's and it's biological. Yeah, in fact, when my brother died and I became really I was grieving. I I didn't know it was grief, but the things that I was not experiencing, I did not feel worthless. I did not suffer really low self-esteem. There you go. And I responded to comfort and support. I yes. wanted comfort and support. I wanted to talk about them. I wanted people to be around me. I That's wasn't a good isolating. Example. And I definitely was not feeling like a worthless person. Yes. Where I think sometimes with depression, you can't. With the depression or the post-traumatic stress disorder or even the anxiety panic disorders that can be triggered off by a loss, yes, that, then after a while it's, I'm, I'm a terrible person and, and there's a lot of shame and guilt and, Anger and irritability, and and it's it's not it doesn't seem to be directly related, but it is. I mean, it was triggered by the initial loss, but but yeah. now it takes a life of its own. And I don't know what our time's like, but I I have a question to ask you, and and the question is: Was your depression different um, when you lost your third child? It, was it? I mean, you've lost three children. You've had multiple when, losses. I was just wondering if the depression was different. When, when my daughter Robin died. Um, and that was how, what was the time? That was six years later. Six years uh, she got sick on a Friday night. Uh, 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 Neisseria meningitis is an extremely nasty disease, and, and, and it, it, it causes the brain to swell very rapidly, and it goes through the nasal cavities into the brain, and, and uh, there's really hardly any way to arrest it unless you catch it very early. She got sick on a Friday night, and by noon she was brain dead. Oh my the next God. day, she just got a really bad migraine. I said, "Go to bed. You got, you know, you got a migraine. You, you got. We all kind of had the flu a little bit." Mm-hmm. And she got up in the morning and said, uh, "Gee, I, my head's killing me." So we took her to the emergency room. They gave her some uh, Toradol to help her with pain. They just said she's got a migraine. We took her home and she lapsed into a coma. And 
and uh, and died uh, was really brain dead and then you know eventually we had to kind of pull the life support out but the difference then was that I think I had a normal <laughs> normal is a terrible word but I, I had a, a, a normal grieving period with mm-hmm. her it, it lasted about a year my depression or bereavement was 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 normal it it, it I handled it mm-hmm. uh, and, and, and sure I, I I was upset and I was grieving and and everything but I, I was able to contrast that between the first time when I went from normal grieving in the first month or two to out and out clinical depression. Mm-hmm. Right. Your other two daughters, yeah. Mary and Sarah. Yeah. yeah. Do you think that's because you knew you've been you've been through grief before and you knew what it was? I like? think that was part of it. I was I think I was a little bit more stress hardy and, and uh, a little more resilient and I knew the drill. And also, you had gotten some help with your depression with Correct. the girls six years earlier. Correct. Talk to us about people who don't grieve and then have another loss. That's 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 right. That 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 just uh, it, it it just doubles it. It just throws them right into bringing out all of this other uh, other stuff. It's sort of like the other stuff lays from the first loss lays dormant. And and then with another loss, it can't be dormant anymore, and it comes out double whammo. So what we're saying to you folks out there, the newly bereaved, is that if you're six months into it or whatever, you don't see improvement, you see some of the things that John's been talking about with you or your family member, you need to get some help because it's not going to go away. When things happen later on, it's going to come back and bite you. Exactly. The, the the two the thing that kind of distinguishes um, complicated grief, where where depression or, or or the normal grieving thing turns into something that that's scary and that we need professional help, is is really the two parts two different parts of the brain can become very disrupted. One part is the part that releases our normal stress hormones. You know, we have five stress hormones that are released, adrenaline, noradrenaline, and so forth, into our bloodstream, and it, it gives us the flight or fight or whatever. With a, with a sudden loss, that can be so disrupted, that part of the brain, that the system becomes like a hair trigger. It um, short-circuited. And, and so now instead of a little thing happening and you releasing a little bit of adrenaline and noradrenaline in the bloodstream, a ton load is released. And because... And for at least temporarily, that part of the brain is so damaged that that tons of stress hormones are released all the time, and that produces the uh, acute stress disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, uh, panic disorders, agoraphobia, because you have all of those horrible steroid stress hormones in your bloodstream, a ton load of them, I mean tons and tons of them running through the bloodstream. You can't sleep, you can't think, you can't concentrate. Yeah. It is, it's a physical, emotional, and psychological assault when you have the death of a family member. So, you know, you can have that disruption at the site of what produces the stress hormones. That goes berserk on you. Or you can have the, the, the sudden stressful event of losing a child can knock the neurotransmitters. They're so essential to our humanness, serotonin, norepinephrine. It can knock them down. And when they're knocked down, then we go into a severe depression or anxiety disorder. Uh-huh. And, and so, we will have maybe some depression and anxiety early on in the first absolutely. weeks anyway. Yeah. But it may not be, you know, the grieving thing. It doesn't necessarily mean you've had a biological, physical impact. Uh-huh.
although you know they're they're and, and we're understanding that in in some cases it may even do brain damage to right. people that are some is somewhat permanent. Uh, and well, the, one one of the things that I say, John, and I'm sure you do to the people you're counseling, is drink water, not alcohol. Eat, yes. figure out how you can get some sleep. Exercise, exercise, even if it's just a walk around the block. I'm, I, I think I kind of uh, talk about three things uh, with, with my patients, and I, and I, and I work with quite a few patients because the people in my northern Utah area know that I've lost children. So if someone loses a child, I, I'm, I'm the first source of referral, and so I work with a lot of them. And, and I, I say three things. Number one, go for, a, go with your spouse and go for a walk every day. Number two. Choose your times when you're going to grieve. Don't grieve 24/7. Be selective. And when you grieve, go grieve. Go do the work of grieving. But but at other times, you know, try to try to stay back from it when you can. Uh, uh, third is you you can't go to drugs and alcohol. You got to and and, and your, your drug and alcohol that's healthy would be support groups, mm-hmm. being around other people. That know the real deal, and that's and I where know you started a compassionate friend. That's right. And, uh, what, what happened is, is that my wife and I, and and the Handies, uh, the the other gal who was killed in the car with my daughter's uh, parents, we started. We initially just blindly started a support group. We got a local hospital to uh, fund us, and and uh, and we just started a support group in the community, saying for anybody that lost children, and. And people came, and and we really had a very large group, and we did that toll for two or three months. And then someone said, "Well, do you know about Compassion Friends?" And we go, well, "What's that?" And so we <laughs> tuned in and and wrote to the national chapter and and and, and, and or the national organization and 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 founded a chapter here in Northern Utah, and it survives today, has very good following, and and uh, and that's the first thing I say to people is you you. You've got to get down to your support group. They're they're your people that know what you're what what's going on with you. Everybody else doesn't. Right. So no matter what anyone else says, no matter how well they try to comfort you or they don't say anything or they do say something, it's going to make you mad. It's going to hurt your feelings. But when you're around people that have compassionate friends and you develop friendships with those people, you can just be around them and you feel comforted because you know that they know. Yep, and they're up walking and yeah, and, and they're surviving. Many of them have. You know, uh, it's 20 years since my my daughters were killed, and and uh, and 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 then you know, 14 years for for my other daughter. Uh, no, I took a licking and kept on ticking. I'm still I'm still going around. I'm still moving, uh, and that that's probably more helpful than any other part of. Well, I love that. So, listen, audience. When we come to close now, is uh, what is it you're licking? And say that again. Uh, you, 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 it's the old Timex commercial. You, you take a licking and keep on ticking. <laughs> I love it. Well, John Christensen, thank you so much. Well, for thank you for having show. me on your program. It's been wonderful having and you I on the show. I just wish everyone out there in the audience that uh, has lost a loved one, uh, wish you the best. And, 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 and but it can be survived. It will be. It, it, but time, it's, it's time, and it's a process. Please don't believe it's something that you should just do it's a process and you just got to give it that year and a half to two years uh, if you know it's a year to year and a half if it's not sudden if it's sudden it's more like a year and a half to two years you just got to give yourself a break and be good to yourself and take it easy and pull back and you can get 
you can get back to about 90% of normal. Now, I don't think I'm ever going to be 100% of normal. I, I believe I'm always going to be a little bit different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, but but up in the 90s, that's good. Not bad. Well, thank you again for All being right. on our show. And- you have been listening to Open to Hope Radio. You can sign up for our newsletter, Facebook, and Twitter on our homepage at opentohope.com.